From multiple indoor locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Adia Alderson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Glenn Henry, project director of Sprite Run Studios, to discuss how COVID-19 has affected the indie dev scene. And so if everyone is ready, let's start. Well done with the intro, Adia. Oh, thank you Guest very host, much. Adia. <laughs> Normal denizen of Evil Games Club, who has joined oh. us on the, on the, the side of truth and justice. Um, for a limited nice time, club. yes. Yeah, for a limited time. <laughs> Tune in next week, folks. Right. <laughs> um, so, Glenn, um, we're glad to have you on. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself or our listeners? Um, well, first off, it's great to be here. Um, it's great to be on a podcast. Um, well. I feel like I've done this intro a lot like, in the past couple of months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My name is Glenn Henry. I'm independent developer based out of Kingston, Jamaica. Um, I'm also the loudest member of the Jamaica Game Developer Society, which is a grassroots kind of collective of nerds who want to learn about making video games. As previously stated, I am the founder and project director for Spiderman Studios, which is this vehicle for me to make games. Yeah. And some of them, I hope, are nice. Cool. <laughs> you said you did, you've done this intro a couple of times, and I know that for a fact because we've been part of this social group online, the, the gig, um, and that's been mm-hmm. a that's been a, a huge part of being an indie dev uh, for a lot of us in COVID nineteen era. Mm-hmm. How ha- how have you refined that intro over time? Because <laughs> I know that I've I've like tried to like speed run it now. Like, like, have, have you not met me yet? Blah, 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 blah. Now you know who I am. Like, not- <laughs> I, I try, I've tried to, one, first off, remember to breathe. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's good. Because it's very easy to just kind of just run through it. And then at the end of it, just <sighs> exhale. Uh, and then I've tried to remove some of the, the self-deprecative. Yeah, right, right. From it. You know, it's very easy to say, like, oh, I kind of suck. But you can't really say that when you're introducing yourself to people. Yeah, there's a common like, uh, oh, hi everybody, I'm a nobody. But thanks for letting me in the in the room. But like, that's that's not yeah. a useful attitude. But we all have to get over that a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that, exactly that. Uh, yeah, but gig gig is kind of been pretty. It's been a godsend for me, really. A lot of things kind of have lined up this year, oddly enough, mm-hmm. uh, from the development standpoint, despite COVID. Oh really? Like what kinds of things? Have yeah, been- this year was supposed to be my very first GDC actually. Oh. Um, one of the things that I end up doing, I've done, I had the opportunity to do, is host um Global Game Jam, the Jamaican chapter. Oh, nice. The past call three years. That's yeah, great. it's been pretty cool seeing it grow year after year. Um, we've been partnering with the local university, University of the West Indies. Um, their media division called Carmack. Um, they give us like their auditorium room and we just spread out mats and we get to, get to use it for a weekend. But through them, Global Game Jam, I got a scholarship to go to GDC, which was cool. I was ready for that. And then COVID said no. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. So I just lost a lot of money there. Shrug, what's next? Then you just kind of transition to working did from you home. Get a, did you get a ticket to the GDC online conference? Um, I got a di- for the is for the summer one that just yeah. happened this week. Yeah, I got a discounted one to that. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I attended that, but it's weird. It's daunting 
like their meat to match system is weird. So I ended up just kind of popping in on a number of, number of the talks. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. Like it, it was it was nice that they did it, but it was maybe a little less. It, it was kind of almost anticlimactic, and they didn't promise it would be a huge thing. But like for people, especially I've talked to a number of people who it was like this. Yeah, this was going to be my first year, and then and don't really. I think if you've gone to GDC a bunch, GDC summer makes sense because you know what's different about it. But if you're new to GDC, mm-hmm. it, it it's yeah, it's kind of daunting. You don't quite understand what you're supposed to get out of it necessarily. Um, a lot of the talks were great, though. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got to see enough of those. Yeah, mm-hmm. same thing. This mm-hmm. is going to be my first year too. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Newbies. Wow. Wow. Right. But yeah, the talks are good. Um, but I'm really, I really like how some a number of the conferences have kind of just gone online. Yeah. Because it inadvertently has opened up a lot of things to people from all over the place. Mm-hmm. So having like. In gig, there was like there's a indie dev from Egypt, Mohammed. I don't know if you got a chance to talk to him. Yeah, I met him. Like I'm pretty sure he he wouldn't have gotten some of the opportunities, you know, in a pre-COVID world. Yeah, that we're getting now. And then gig itself is it's great. I, I think that's also what spo- spoiled GDC for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. We've mm-hmm. talked about gig maybe once or twice on the show, but maybe not in depth. So there, well, this is, it's been written up about. So we'll put some links in the show notes for listeners to understand what we're talking about mm-hmm. and why it has been kind of valuable to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, that's fascinating. I like that you brought up um, that uh, like you've been at, there have been a lot of opportunities that are given to people through everything being online mm-hmm. during or during COVID. Uh, and I think that's something that's mm-hmm. like maybe not talked about a lot. Right, like the topic we started was like in, indie indie during COVID, and I think your first impression is like, how has COVID ruined another thing? But <laughs> it hasn't. But, but in fact, the, I think a lot of people have taken it as an opportunity to like, as silver linings, right? Yeah, it's all about silver linings. I mean, the thing with the indie community, at least, at least what I've noticed for the past four years, is kind of hit a point where it's it's grown ridiculously huge. And it's kind of solidified in certain places. Like we know who the pillars of the community are. We know um, their voices and where they stand on like Twitter and Facebook. Well, not so much Facebook. <laughs> you find most of them on Twitter and everything. And kind of everybody kind of congregates around these spaces, shouting for attention from these people. And a lot of de- developers are like they're aspirational. So they're aspirational hobbyists. That's the term that they're kind of being. Um, adopting where they want to make games, they want to learn how to make games. They default to indie because, for whatever reason, they don't necessarily have access to the AAA industry. Like they either can't migrate to get a job, or they can't, you know, find an in from a remote working standpoint. So the next best thing is I'm gonna just do it myself, and that kind of adopts that whole bootstrap entrepreneur mindset, and then. That inevitably leads to like this weird hustle mentality, where you're just kind of shouting into the void at every, and then shouting at everyone like "pick me, pick yeah. me, pick me." Yeah. So yeah, no, COVID came in, it's shaking everything up. It might get worse later on, I think, but at least right now, people are oh, now we're paying attention to the people on the internet that are shouting these, shouting "pick me, pick me." Um, they have no access to these spaces as you know, traditional physical locations have to go online. They're like, oh, well, 
even though you dismissed me because you know I was just one of many many faces I actually have experience here. Like, why don't you consider this? And what you might end up seeing is a lot of um, AAA companies end up looking to third world countries because of that exchange rate. It's kind of crazy the the cost of living differences between like Jamaica and San Fran. Mm-hmm. It's insane, actually. Yeah, I believe that. I was uh, listening to the interview you did on Creative Studios, and you mentioned the Indian community and specifically some of the harm that can come with kind of like certain people giving armchair advice, especially for uh, newer people coming to the industry. You said that could be a topic all of its Mm -hmm. own. I wonder if you could expound on that a little bit. I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. Armchair, the armchair devs. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, wow. Well, I'm not entirely sure how to like frame that one properly. Whatever you feel comfortable. I mean, it kind of it ties into the whole pick me, um, pick me game dev. Well, that sounds horrible, but it can catch on. Pick me game dev. Yeah. Where a lot of those people, they have advice or they've read information and they kind of collated a lot of stuff and then they've kind of internalized this. I, I want to call it negativity, but it's not exactly negativity. Um, I can remember earlier, early in my career, in my career, well, same career makes it sound weird. That's a career. But I've been very interested in indie dev for like like eight years, almost nine years now. And then I've been making games in some fashion across that period of time. When I just started, I remember asking on Reddit, like, okay, uh, my family, what, what, they're willing to support me doing something but I don't even know how to begin putting together a budget um, or what costs to consider or all of that type of stuff to kind of transition to say, how do I make this for our reality full-time? One of the responses I remember hearing was just like, yeah, no, if you're asking these questions, you are no way ready. Like, there's no explanation or anything, but it's just like this super negative slap down. And I was like, it stuck, it sticks with you, but like, and it's coming from, I guess, a good place, I think. I want to say that. Yeah. But it's just kind of like a poison that kind of, like, you failed, so you're going to make sure everybody else failed. <laughs> or, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I, I might be a little more cynical about it because I, I see those things on Reddit, too, where, where someone is like, hey, I don't know anything, and I'm very naive. Can I get a little tip? And then people will kind of jump in and be like, oh, you, you just don't know. And it's like, Yes, I know. I just don't know. <laughs> right. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. But it's hard. It's yeah. Yeah. But I think it's it's it is hard for people to avoid that attitude because every it's such a struggle to learn this stuff. And then when you finally do seeing somebody else who mm-hmm. hasn't yet, it should you should have a lot of empathy. But one, it's like, um, what is it like generations of bullies? Like <laughs> you pass on that, that negative behavior. Mm-hmm. But also like when you see other people do it, you, it's hard to empathize with them because you're you have changed so much. And so it, suddenly the things are things are now more obvious to you. And when someone else doesn't get it, it frustrates you because like, you're like I spent all this time learning it and now somebody else wants to know, like, I, you know, I have enough mm-hmm. troubles. They just want it for free. Yeah, right, right. Like I, 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 I struggled for this. Like, you know, you should do something like that. I, it's all subconscious, I imagine. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't have, I think self-taught devs are, are you know, I don't think that they all need to go to school for game dev. In fact, I think most people shouldn't, but, um, <laughs> but like there does need to be some sort of apparatus and I, it's hard to build, but a lot of that's changing now with, with more access and more things online and the world, the indie dev world mm-hmm. is getting a little smaller. Um, so that, that's, that's a plus, right? Yeah, definitely a plus. Uh, 
I don't think that's ever going to really go away. I don't think that's something you can properly police. I think that's just part of like any established industry. You have those jaded people, those hurt people. Because yeah. mm-hmm. if you listen to a lot of the complaints or a lot of the feedback that you're getting from these people, it's echoed in like the software, the traditional software engineering, software development spaces. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, you young neophytes, let me learn you something <laughs> yeah. today. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, look, back in my day when we were programming, you know, we had to print out everything with a punch card, and <laughs> yep, yep, it's it's kind of the same same energy. Well, uh, yeah, um, I think this kind of ties into something else, though, in terms of building out that education apparatus. Um, I saw Zach Gage post something on Twitter a couple of days ago where he was like, you know, his story was like, make small games, experiment wildly. His team sizes have always been one or two. He's made games consistently as a part-time and he's leveraged his games for like improved his money-making job or his day job and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then eventually ended up in education. Mm-hmm. And personally, I'm just looking at that. That's kind of what I ended up doing. I mean, I have a background as a computer scientist. I did um, got my first degree with computer science. Mm-hmm. Then ended up doing like traditional IT stuff. Then went ahead and picked up an MBA because family reasons and I wanted to learn more about like the business considerations and in the back of my head all of this is just like oh these are other tools to help me build a studio or build out a team that can produce the type of games that I want to make yeah right so it's funny how all that kind of dovetails together but I I, for the life of me I couldn't tell you if somebody if 20 year old Glenn came to me now and asked how do I get where you are now I couldn't tell him that. I couldn't plot that all out. Yeah. Right? No, that makes sense. That's a really interesting way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of small and big Mm -hmm. projects, I want to talk about Mage. So I played it. Uh, It was quite fun. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. I'm not very good at platformers, so I died quite a bit. But I started to get the mechanics oh, like, okay, I got to jump and then I got to use the water on this. And then I use the magma one so I can create new building blocks to keep going. But you had um, mm-hmm. uh, talked about that, you know, the time it took to eventually release that and the fear of releasing and kind of that small, big project mm-hmm. mentality. <sighs> okay. Like, <laughs> all right. For Mage, yeah, Mage would be probably the first game that I like built. Mm-hmm. Um, there are multiple versions of the same game which used the same concept that just kept on being reinvented. And it took me, God, like I must have did it in like the second year of university and I didn't release it until like second year of me having a job. So like somewhere like four years or something. It's a very simple game. And I did every mistake I can think of. Like the scope creep was there. I decided to build my own engine in JavaScript. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then I kept on changing out the art and then, you know, end goal itself was too big. And so I was like, so I went through all of that. I figured that that is part of the process. And then there was that fear for submitting. I remember it was like a Friday. I had posted it in, I'd posted it on Reddit. I had posted it on TIG, I think. And I also posted, I shared it, I think one other place. I think it was a Ludum Dare site, because it, it was a competition to ship something for October, end of October. I remember clicking submission, and then, like, next day, just, like, being a ball of nerves. 
because I'm ready for the internet to come down and rip my game to shreds. Mm. My baby, the thing I've sat down and worked on for so long, and then nobody cared. Mm. And that that kind of taught me something. Like, okay, you can mess up repeatedly. It's fine. Um, it's not going to end you. That that was the lesson for Mage, and like it's, it's it's still dear to me. I mean, I think. Couple of years back, a friend like messaged me and was like, "Hey, hey, it's not working anymore." It turns out there was some Java library library that was depreciated, so I had to blow off the dust and open up <laughs> NetBeans and <laughs> fix it. <laughs> I, and yeah, just the entire process kind of showed me like, "Oh, this is where I'm coming from." Cool, cool. That's good. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. So, like with relation to like releasing games now, um, especially mm-hmm. like when we're you know we're all at home and it's kind of difficult. Uh, to determine what is a good release date, like every every, I feel like every week you hear about um, a movie getting delayed until like September or December or whatever, because like they're trying to yeah. put it in theaters. You know, you uh, I wanted to ask about like how uh, releasing games in in this current environment like has changed, like, or like thinking about how that even release a game um, has changed. Well, I haven't really sat down like thought about it properly. Okay. Personally, I'm subscribed to a newsletter called ICO Steam, mm-hmm. and they send you a weekly news newsletter, and it just says you shows you the big ticket games that get released on Steam, and how many games get released like the previous week. Yeah. Um, looking on it right now, there's 227 new releases as of last week. Just to show you how daunting it yeah. is, I don't, I don't recall that number actually going down or changing much since COVID. Yeah. I think Mark. I think we had a conversation around something like this once um, in gig. It's it's quite likely. <laughs> yeah, um, there there's a discussion regarding is it wise to release a game now, indie game now, in like Christmas time, December. Oh yeah, that's sort of like when is the dead time or whatever. Yeah, the, the general general idea is like don't do it during Christmas. Don't do it in attached to any big holidays. And then what's the next one? There's another date, I think, early in the year. I think it's like, I don't remember exactly where it is, but there's a window early in the year where it isn't. Yeah, like, it's like, and it changes a lot because, like, the industry moves. Like, Christmas is bad, and then March is kind of bad because, like, big games will get released in March. And then, like, and then E3 time is bad, not necessarily because you're competing with AAA, but because nobody's talking about anything but AAA. Yeah. But then, eventually, there's always an excuse throughout the entire year where it's, that it's, it's always bad. It's always a bad time to release your game, and and so yeah. like I don't. And there's so many like factors you don't know. Yeah, it's really hard to with an indie with a like who am I competing against? Like you know, am I trying to get press coverage? Do I care that I'm not going to be on anybody's a- end of year list? In that case, is November mm-hmm. okay then? Like you know, there's no right answer because there's not enough data. Yeah, there's some truisms, yeah. and and I think people do try to avoid those certain like super hot spots, but like. I think that's less true than it was five years ago, but I don't, I just think that. I don't know if it's true. Yeah, yeah, because all of that information, all of that is great, but I, uh, I think it really depends on who you're marketing to. Mm-hmm. Like, case in point, if you've done your research and you've identified your target market, right, you don't want to accidentally release your roguelike game the same, like, month that three other roguelike games get early right right yeah. market research mm-hmm. is important whatever week you yeah choose, right like 
yeah. it matters what AAA you're competing for press with, right? <laughs> and what other types exactly. of Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not even so much AAA. It can just be if there are any other studio that's yeah. releasing anything ever, mm-hmm. right, right. around that time. So, like, I mean, I, w- I released my latest project was Grim and Tonic. And I think I released it. I launched it October 2018, pushed it out to early access, um, end of January, early February of this year. Around the same time, Necrobarista was getting talked about a lot, <laughs> and Death and Taxes just got released. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Mm. <laughs> I, I, I'm upset. Like I was so upset at the death and taxes guys, and then like you know I can't be upset at them because you know they're they seem so great on Twitter and the game seems awesome. And I was like, I wish I did that. And like, mm. yeah. And all of the games had similar themes, mm-hmm. right? So, so I want to talk about that. It is what it is. I'm glad you brought mm. up Grim and Tonic. So I played it. I love visual novels, so it was right up my alley, mm. and I enjoyed the characters, uh-huh. and I love the genre of kind of like. You are ex bartender, coffee person, whatever, and you're just mm-hmm. helping people like solve their problems. Things like uh, Valhalla, coffee talk, necrobarista, like mm-hmm. you talked about. And I feel like that's starting to become almost a genre of itself within the visual novel space. So I don't think there can be too many because I'm always looking for more. I'm like, okay, I've played all these. Who's making more mm-hmm. of these? Because like I want that. And you talked about like releasing a visual novel early access. Um, in an episodic mm. kind of format versus all at once. Um, and since we're kind of talking mm. about release, why did you make the decision to go that way versus kind of having it all at once? Because for visual novels, I feel like how you release is a little different versus kind of platformers or roguelike where you're kind of one and done and then maybe you'll get DLC. Well, the reason I was trying to go episodic for Grimantonic is originally, and this happens with a lot of my projects in terms of when they're conceived, I try to keep those scopes small, but have an opportunity to scale. Okay. And Grim and Tonic was a, basically what happened is that I had re- previously released a game the previous year, and I keep fluctuating between these modes where like, I need to take a sabbatical from game dev, but I still need to be creative, so I inevitably end up drawing. So I made a webcomic called Grim and Tonic, oh. and then I fell in love with the characters. But then I found out after a while, it's like, I really want to make a game again. It's like, how do I translate the characters into a story, keep it episodic, and just keep the same mechanism? Because I really enjoyed the, the routine of releasing a webcomic. Like, every week a page comes out. Um, it was great to kind of structure some of the Helter Skelter bits of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to see how I could transfer that over to, uh, into, a, into a game. So I figured, okay. With my stack, I can release release it to the web. People can play play it online. It can be an episodic kind of thing, depending on the feedback there. You know, I can continue tweaking the story and such and such and such, and then I can release compiled episodes in releases on Steam, and it can be supported by Patreon. Mm-hmm. I think that was the overall idea. Um, the optic on it wasn't great, and then I found out that that entire production pipeline was way more than I could handle at the time. So shrunk it back. Um, six episodes, it went to limited to six episodes. And then during that same year, I had to move twice. So those six episodes became three. Mm. And then the project itself drag on, continued to drag on longer than intended. So lock it down, tie up the story, release. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the entire <laughs> pathway. 
because real life happens. No. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very creative. Like, I love all the biblical references with Eden City, like Nebuchadnezzar and Sons. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and kind of uh, the inspiration. And it has a very, like, manga, anime-inspired vibe to it. Are there? So I did want to mm-hmm. um, ask kind of, are there, like, favorite animes and mangas that inspire you? Because I see that kind of, like, thread through a lot of your uh, projects. Or do you have, like, a favorite one, if that's an easier question? Uh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, well, I am definitely a anime manga enthusiast. Um, I grew up on all the usual stuff, you know, DBZ, Naruto, mm-hmm. Bleach, all of that stuff. Which is weird, because in itself, locally, it's kind of a subculture, right, already. Mm-hmm. And so that that is a source and inspiration for my art. And recently, I've kind of tried to reconnect more with that. So, like, I, I, you tend to dis- try and distance yourself away from, from uh, quote unquote, weeb culture because <laughs> you don't necessarily want to get that tied to it. But then I think back, to, I thought back to myself um, a couple times over the past two years. Like, this is what I enjoy the most. I should be able to enjoy it without feeling embarrassed. Yeah. So dive back into it, found a couple new ones. I think my favorite new one is probably like Chainsaw Man. I haven't seen that one, which is surprising because most people don't ever say one I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, Chainsaw Man was, this is really, really, really interesting so far. I, I'm liking the story and I'm, the art is kind of messy, but. I, I'm liking the protagonist. It's a little bit different from, you know, friendship first, and you just have to keep trying. You know, the main character just wants to enjoy life. Simple. Mm-hmm. He just keeps getting sucked into different things, but he's just happy. He's happy as supposed to have bread with butter and different types of things on bread. Yeah. And he was just, yeah. And that's like, I can relate to that. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's a main in- inspiration. Um, for Grim and Tonic specifically, though, uh, there is a book series um, called The Case Files. I'm trying to remember. I knew it! Yes, I know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, the King in, King in Yellow and all of those. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, not King in Yellow. What's his name? Oh, God, I feel bad for not remembering his no, name. I, I know what you're talking about because I was thinking about it when I was playing it, too. Mm-hmm. We'll add it in the show notes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to find it as we, as we speak. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really like the whole idea of a, like a magic system merged with um, with uh, legal structures, merged with religious undertones. Like how how the author set up the entire world mm-hmm. uh, was really interesting. I, I love I liked it a lot. I read all the stories, and I still want to go back and mine those stories for mechanics, mechanic ideas. And right now, there is a management sim idea that's bouncing around in my head based loosely off of that entire world so it's really cool yeah and uh speaking of kind of building i also wanted to ask i noticed uh, in the credits that you said that you use phaser js to make them inspired mm-hmm. by rempi and i noticed uh kind of mm-hmm. you had that you don't use unity <laughs> Which I, I don't use it either. So I was very happy to see a fellow mm-hmm. person who also doesn't use Unity. But that was an interesting choice mm-hmm. to use PhaserJS to kind of almost mimic what RemPy kind of does at the gate. What was your kind of decision in choosing that as like a kind of development path? Well, I had already picked up Phaser um, before. So Shiny Gauntlet was built in Phaser. Okay. And the 
previous um, incarnation of Questlike, which is on Steam, is also built in Faisal. So when I decided, okay, let me see if I can build visual novels rather than learning RenPy, which I could, didn't want to waste time learning uh, a new tech stack. I just wanted to focus on the design mm -hmm. and the story. I did some Googling and I found um, there is a library called RenPyJS, uh, which is available on itch and it's pretty good. So not even RenPyJS, sorry, it's RenJS. Yeah. Because it's just m mimicking it exactly. Um, the author, the developer is called Luna from the Moon. And they're pretty responsive. And yeah, it gives you all the basic stuff. So I just took that and I hit the ground running. Talking about using the tool you know, even if it's maybe not the most supported or best exact tool, just that's the more efficient path. And I think that's advice I think people do need to hear because it can be very daunting to say, like, I only know X. How could I possibly make Y? And the truth is, you just can. Mm -hmm. And I, it's funny that Adia is, you know, very happy that you don't use Unity. But I've, Stephen talks a lot about how Unity is his home. Yeah. And he's not interested in learning something else just for its own sake. He wants to do the design work. And so those are very similar mm -hmm. philosophies, even though ultimately they end up diverging on different paths. And I think, like, you know, if, if, if all you know is Flash, like, you can, you can still get by these days. Like, you know, like, you yeah, instead, don't feel as pressured necessarily to use new tool, use your own your own criteria and your own, you know, if you, your, your own desires to, to learn new tools. Like sometimes you do, you know, it's, it's beneficial, but not always necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely it. Um, I don't know if it is just a matter of age and you eventually like calcify into a crusty old developer. <laughs> you don't want to learn anything else new because yeah. you've already gone through all the struggles, you know, all the stack overflow. <laughs> yeah. And it, you, you just don't want to go anymore. So it's like, you know what you know. Mm -hmm. Let me figure out how to do this. And y your brain kind of gets starts looking at problems within the library that you have. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think anytime someone, with, the first time you learn a second a programming language is the moment you realize they're mm -hmm. all the same. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm some I'm someone who loves to learn every new tool. Like I'm I'm the opposite. Like I I'm not comfortable unless I'm like diving into tech documentation, but I don't see a lot of mm. value in it in terms of like the, getting a game done. So uh, that's why I always tell mm -hmm. people like it's learn something new if you want to. You don't have to necessarily. Mm. Yeah, definitely stand by that. And personally, I love JavaScript because it is so bad. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> you love it because it's so bad. <laughs> It, I mean, you're right. Yes, because like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just that you can break so many rules. So many rules. I was yeah, just going to yeah. say that. Like, it's not supposed to do this, but you can make it do it. And if it works, it works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I remember like there was a string. I got a string um, callback from using like Google API for my current project. But I needed to pass on like some random ID code. So I just take the string and just append I append, made it into an object and appended what I needed and just done. Like, you can't do that anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. But JavaScript allows you to because it doesn't matter. It is, it's where all spaghetti code is made. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> it, a lot of the deficiencies in JavaScript, like foundationally, there's a generation of developers who are like, I'm going to take that and then make something that's only possible in JavaScript because of <laughs> the way it's, mm -hmm. it's it's faulty in another way. Like it's a, uh, it's a, uh, the fact that yeah people use it so much it's not it's not that it has any like objective 
benefits. It's just that like there's a billion libraries to do anything you want. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You need notifications. It's there. You need yeah. um, some other type of pop up there. Yeah, it just makes a lot of things very, very easy. Before the show, we were talking about your um, uh, your library of games and how it's it's kind of bounced mm-hmm. around between genres. And we've already talked about that. And you're talking about like working mm-hmm. on like the, the, uh, you're uh, inspired by uh, this manga series, uh, a visual novel, but also a management game. And so can you talk a little bit about like, because uh, a lot of people like they have the genre that they, is their favorite to play and to make, or maybe one they like to play and one they like to make, they find a home. Um, have you, mm-hmm. um, how do you find like, this is the game, these are the games I make, like your brand, or are you more comfortable saying like, whatever the next thing is, is the next thing? Well, I'm still searching for the brand because I do recognize from like a marketing standpoint, oh, sure. having uh, a type of great, of game that you focus on yeah. and really drill down like, like that's kind of, kind of like a T-shaped man kind of scenario. Like you focused on one type of thing. Uh, I, I've tried that. Um, in terms of most research and probably the most fun that I personally play would be like roguelikes, games that kind of follow that type of style. However, I do know that those are like Asset, asset intensive mm-hmm, yeah. and tend to blow up the scope tends to blow like right out like it gets ridiculously yep. very, yep. very Steven knows that, that. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on one mm-hmm. myself <laughs> so uh, so I've stayed away from making an attempting another roguelike but one of the things I do know that I personally enjoy is like narrative stuff mm-hmm. and that's why one of the things if you check out my my twitter it says that we focus on narrative games so that was that that was the motivation for that and just looking at is it 2018 when Epic Store just launched? Was it is it 2018 or is it 2017? Whenever it was, it was a million years ago. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because because everything's a million years ago now. Yeah, so they just launched Steam. Steam was you know messing up. I thought that it would be the there would be a framing uh, in the market where you know short form narrative games could come up, mm-hmm. and I was figuring that okay if I um, and I was still doing the pre-production for like Grim and Tonic. I figured, like, okay, so maybe visual novels would have a chance or something to that space would have a chance. Like that entire pipeline of being able to, you know, make um, that weekly episodic kind of setup. That was what I had in mind. You could keep doing that type of stuff or looking at other local stories and reimagining them in like a visual novel or stuff like that. That's what I wanted to build build my brand on at that point so yeah i was hoping that the market would be disrupted enough for that to bloom Mm -hmm. unfortunately it hasn't which is sad (laughs) yeah but i do want to say that like as a point narrative story in now world building um that type of stuff is a priority for the type of games i build i want to drill down on that more in one way or another Mm -hmm. um in terms of how those that gets um expressed I couldn't tell you. Uh, I'm a little bit like you, Mark, in terms of I like drilling down and looking into things, but it's from more of a mechanic standpoint. So I'll have I have multiple spreadsheets with a bunch of ideas and mechanics just plopped down and drilling down whole day with inter inter interact and stuff like that. So like I, I had a game idea randomly of seeing, okay, what if you took an isekai isekai um, game genre and smashed it with a roguelike, how would that look? Would it involve a lot of fourth wall breaking? Um, could that be interesting to play? Stuff like that, which is completely different from a ver- uh, VM, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then another one was trying to see, okay, how can you put a VN and a roguelike together? What would that look like? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then another one was like, okay, what if you took uh, a VN card game? How would that look like? Just looking at the different core blocks of the, of the game, the systems. Yeah. Uh, and seeing how they can really play together. I kind of went all over the place with this answer, but no, basically narrative is focused. Well, well what, I, what I'm hearing is <laughs> that there's, you know, there's two answers to it, right? There's like, where am I going to position my my work in the marketplace, right? Which is kind of like, mm-hmm. it's like a bummer mm-hmm. you have to think about it, but you do have to think about it, right? Because you only have mm-hmm. so much time on this yeah. planet and like you, you want to be most effective and make the most art you can. And in order to do that, it needs to be viable. So this is all feedback from each other. But the second thing I'm hearing is like, you have a goal as an artist. Like you're like, oh, I, I want to try a million genres. But there's one core element. And I think that that is a sort of a, a key that a lot of people like, what should I make? What am I supposed to make? And um, mm-hmm. if you have if you have a, a drive, like you, you, you've picked out one aspect that is for artistic reasons. And I, I imagine primarily or solely, then you can build your place in the market around that is, is what, it, what it sounds like. Yeah, that's the idea. That's the hope, actually. So, even now with my current project, which is Quest Like Pocket, um, it's not a heavy narrative game, but I really like the character designs, design process, and coming up with lore and making yeah. sure everything is interconnected, and that that is effectively world building. So it's satisfying that um that 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 bit that artistic need, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's to try and make sure that it hits all the other boxes for like satisfying a business thesis right, right. you know proper market analysis and everything else so yeah no i was saying it's a lot i was just going to wrap it up by saying it's a lot of hat changing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i like i like that direction that you're coming from with with all of the different genres and things too because like um you're not like it, it doesn't sound like you're limiting yourself based on what like what you think kind of genres you can make for a game it's more about like what you want the player to experience narratively and like you use that as an as mm-hmm. inspiration for what the game should be, mm-hmm. which I think is, I think that's very good. That's clever. Yeah. That's the ideal. That's the ideal. It's just hoping and ensuring that, you know, the market responds favorably. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I felt the same way about visual novels because we had dream daddy came out and then there was Doki Doki literature mm-hmm. club. And then Arcade Spirits mm-hmm. and all these like big name vision novels are like, oh, we're coming back. These are coming back. They're coming popular. But like for every Dream Daddy, there's like a hundred visual novels that meant never made their Kickstarter kind of um, goal. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way. So my primary uh, area of kind of game development is interactive fiction. Uh, I don't draw some lines of more heavy kind of hyper or parser based, but it's the same dilemma where like it's a niche market and it, probably will be a while before it has a resurgence or mainstream market if that is even the direction that it's going and so trying to balance that mm-hmm. with like this is something i really like to do and enjoy but at this current moment as far as like where people are is not viable because like uh quest like pocket is sort of similar because i've been watching some of the as an amazing artist i've been watching some of your speed paints uh, which are really cool with these mm-hmm. like really creative and in-depth characters. And I think it's nice that you still oh, got thanks. that in that. Yeah, no problem uh, in kind of this new type of way. But do you think you like after you do a couple more games, would you ever go back to visual novels, doing it more so for your own sake and not so much for say knowing it won't have a big market? 
Um, definitely. I definitely do. Because like I said, um, there are stories I do want to tell. Yeah. Um, and I do think the vision novel space has room for like innovation. Like, we kind of know what a vision novel looks like. Mm-hmm. But I realize that there's not a lot of experimenting in terms of like templating um, or having a visual novel that reads more like a manga in terms of how the scenes change and stuff like that. And, and it is very possible. Um, so there's stuff like that I want to tackle in, from a system standpoint. Mm-hmm. And as well as there are local stories that I really think could be re- reimagined as a visual novel and be interesting and people pick yeah. it up. So it's really just trying to find the niche and then building out the pipeline to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, it's a harder time with narrative games? Because um, advertising them is also much different because with like roguelike or platformers, you're like, look at all the shiny, flashy things on the screen, look at all the cool colors. And with like a visual novel, sometimes you need at least five to 10 minutes, to, like get into the characters and the story. So like what you show or how you advertise is a lot different. I'm curious, like, if you've had ideas for that experimentonic or, like, things you're thinking in the future would do better? I don't know. I can tell you what doesn't work. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that many conversions from, like, influencers, mm. which makes sense mm-hmm. if you think about it. Like, enough of people have um, picked up the game and streamed them playing it. But if they're not necessarily, like, well, for lack of a better word, um, active streamers like people who you know read stuff and actively play out the voices and get very involved in the story watching that would be very drab Mm -hmm. and then watching that and then playing the game to just do the same set of actions again i don't necessarily see the enticement there so i'm not entirely sure how you go about marketing visual novels um Mm -hmm successfully right now yeah they probably have to pull pull more from um books really and truthfully uh, one of the things i was looking at from like a as a visual novel developer was trying to emulate um the success of like indie self-publishing um authors on amazon a lot of them just churn out content a, a lot a lot of content but it's like shorter stories and then a lot of cross promotion between their stories and they're cheap and they don't spend that much on marketing, really, truly. They just identify the niche, ensure that they deliver what that niche wants, and then just make sure they hit the bar of quality. I think a perfect example of that type of dev would have been like Winter Wolves, is on Twitter, Winter Wolves Games. They have just a lot of visual novels and dating sims and that type of stuff. Like, but that 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 is their work. That is exactly. They, they know what their audience wants and they deliver on that and they seem to be doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. So I would trying to see if we could probably mimic that and expand on it somehow. Mm-hmm. That's a thing where that you're talking about like how visual novels will have sort of a, a template that isn't innovated on that often, but there actually seems mm-hmm. that there, there can be a benefit, which is to a player can say, I know what this gameplay systems work. I'm really just in it for the story mm-hmm. and the experience of, it, of an interactive narrative. And so there, there's, I don't know, you, you, can, you, could, you could want one or both, right? You can, one is not better than the other, but there's value to that consistency, right? Like, like mm-hmm. those, those self-published yeah. Amazon, they're just that tons of content that people can digest. They could be cheap to produce and they could be high quality from a narrative angle. And they can be uh, not a big risk because the player doesn't need to learn a lot of new, 
gameplay systems to engage with it, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe it's not as fun to make. I don't know. No, that's a trade-off. Oh, yeah, that's a trade-off. Because I feel like the same thing happened within the parser-based kind of interactive fiction space. Because originally, they're like, all parsers must have puzzles. If a parser doesn't have puzzles in its mechanic, it's not a parser game. And like that was the template for a long time. And then people started creating like narrative only parser games where maybe there was like one puzzle or no puzzle at all. And the whole entire game was like kind of your interaction with these kind of characters throughout the game. And they're like, some of them were really successful. Some of them weren't because it was the thing where like people got in, they were expecting their puzzles and um, et cetera. And like the mechanics, and it took a while before people are like, oh no, there's two types of parser games. There's more narrative focused ones and there's more puzzle based ones. But there was that kind of fight Mm -hmm. in the beginning of like which one will be the, what it's supposed to be. And I feel like exactly to echo your thoughts, the same thing's happening within the visual novel world. We're like, all right, uh, your dating sims do very well. Like a lot of the ones that I've talked about are hardcore dating sims you play. You've got X amount of characters or romance, go. And... (laughs) Or the co- the other one is the, I was talking about more like you're, you're the bartender, tea maker, whatever, and you're just interacting with people through stories. And like, those are the two things I see. So having someone like create that new genre is terrifying, but I feel like that is needed because I feel like once enough people do it, they're like, yes, this is a genre we should continue uh, going for. But nobody wants to be the first. Nobody wants to be the first. Or I wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't say that nobody wants to be the first because I think everybody wants to be the first success. Yeah. Yes, the first success. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the first to taste the risk is also high too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I like podcast issues. Don't you like them, Adia? They're a fun time to do. <laughs> Sometimes I'll yeah. spend all day just perusing my favorite podcast reviews. One of all day. Nice things said by nice people about nice content. I love it. Yes. We get nice reviews sometimes too, which is really great. We um, do. Not war and peace level of content there, but we have we have some good ones. Um, I don't know. Is there any way we could solve that, Steve? Uh, we could ask our listeners to leave more reviews. I mean, do we want to be that forward with them? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your call, man. <laughs> well, it's, it, they're valuable because uh, they help the show get noticed. Um, and we also like reading uh, reviews on the show. Uh, for example, Adia, would you like to read this review we've got here for us? Yes. We have a glowing review from Archil. Great podcast. Very cool podcast. I love hearing from local Minnesota developers. Some great adjectives right there. We got great, cool, love, Minnesota. <laughs> Those are all positive all. words, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing. You can leave, you know, a heartfelt love letter to the show, or you can be like punchy and efficient, like this one, which just gets to the point. And if yeah. that's how you want to, if that's how you describe the show, or however you describe the show, um, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can do that. Usually Apple Podcasts, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't be make illusions. It's the Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I actually wanted to like, pose a question though. Um, that split that you're mentioning with, between VMs, dating sims, and like, um, I guess is it what, what talking VM? Yeah, therapy? it's like yeah, something like that. It should it doesn't even have a name yet, but I know the genre because there's at least like seven or eight visual novels now that are all the same exact format. You're behind a counter, you serve food-like products to the people that come in. <laughs> mm -hmm. and you talk about their problems like anthology stories. yeah 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 i want to say that it's a split between like east and west okay because dating sims are pretty much springing out of japan and those stories at the time are well that entire genre where you mm -hmm. have x number of cute people <laughs> and can you you know woo them to get the winning the end game cg that you know that's pretty much it that's the goal like if you're nice enough to them you get a nice bonus cg mm. at the end and then that's not downplaying it but that's just kind of just bare bones in yeah what the genre is and then there's the therapy side which seems to be more it's like it's taking what kinetic novels are which is just story is in you just press start and it will just run there's no choices or anything real and true play You're just literally turning a page and then trying to take that and reimagine it in a way that has some form of interactivity. Yeah. No, I agree. So there's a split. There's yeah. a there's a split there. And I think the therapy side is probably more West has more Western influence because I think we Western gamers tend to want more action, more interactivity, more consequence to certain to the act to the to the game. Um, whereas Eastern games are actually strangely enough more destructured, but they're also okay with the game not being a game. I noticed that too. Like uh, when I play kind of Japanese visual novels, it could be 10 minutes before I make a choice. And I've been reading text up mm -hmm. to that point where kind of the almost like the de facto advice on the West side is don't give them a wall of text. Uh, you should have an option every X amount of like minutes to keep them engaged. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And choice doesn't even have to matter. It can just be a spoof. Yeah. Right? It doesn't have to influence anything. It's just the act of choosing is important. Mm -hmm. that, that's true of all genres, right? Like the, the, uh, the smoke and mirrors of any game designer is to like make the mm -hmm. player feel like they have agency even when you need them to just do this, 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 and this order for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean that that that's the Telltale games pretty much, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
There should I feel like there mm-hmm. should be more games that say character will remember this. Because <laughs> at least it makes it feel like you're doing some work. <laughs> right. And you know they're lying to you, but you just like to be lied to. Right. <laughs> but it's very hard to design that type of game, really and truly. Yeah. Like um one of the things that happened with Grimantonic initially was I was trying to do some more open world well, lack of a word. For lack of a better word, open world or open system, interactive system. Mm-hmm. So there would be hidden stats on all the characters, and then based on your choices, those stats would change. All right, so there was a point where you could actually make a character too drunk to progress. Mm-hmm. And the screen would get wall fuzzy, and then they'd leave. So you had to balance out, you know, giving them the drink that they want, but not making it too strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So progress the storyline. Um, and then depending on your other answers, you could like, you give them a nice answer and they're and they're they are aligned that way you know they get become more affectionate or stuff like that it was more originally it was more of a dating simish vibe but eventually just structuring that was very very hard because how do you inject a story into that how do you make it make a story a story that progresses you know so that's one, another one of the features that yeah. yeah, it's difficult to... Yeah. Uh, this, well, I'm hearing you talk, that's actually a mechanic that shows up in uh, Valhalla. It's a similar thing where you're giving mm-hmm. kind of like drinks to your patrons and there is a certain character that like, depending on how strong of a drink you give, they'll give you different answers, which will like affect the storyline later on. But their scope mm-hmm. is also kind of like, this is the scope that we want to have because the, the issue you're talking about is like, you get... Um, kind of like a tree that has so many endings that you can never put them back together again to create a cohesive story. Mm-hmm. And then I remember trying to explain that entire process to a friend. Like I had them, I had like some decision tree maps and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, it, it was hard to grasp, like just explaining that, okay, if we put in that much granular, that many levers on a character, it's hard to progress with a story. It becomes like an inter systems based interaction versus an offered story, you know? Mm-hmm. Agreed. So I feel like almost all the visionals that I play have the branch and bottleneck strategy. Yeah. It, uh, I think that is just the default, really, and true. Yeah. It's just very easy. It's easier to manage. You could just put in certain, like, there would be a game, like, this choice is more important than any other choice the game because this is the choice that's going to affect the ending that you get mm-hmm. but every other choice is just kind of like just allowing the player to have interactivity but looping back to the the central spine of the plot mm-hmm. really and true play yeah um and it's mostly kind of just like the flavor text because the weird thing is um i'm blanking on the name but they're a studio who did uh sorcery in 80 days they have a lot of talks on gdc vault and one thing that they noticed when they were getting data and statistics back from their players is that most players don't replay the game. They'll play it once and then they'll think about all the other options they could have done. But the fact that they've never played it again to see what those were, the illusion still holds. And so they'll talk to other people and be like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. There's a hundred different choices I could have made. And other people will get different stories as the text will change. But like you said, the key points will kind of stay the same. So exactly what Mark was saying is these smoke and mirrors effects. 
where you can mm -hmm. give them choices, it changes the text, but the story is still the same. Yeah. 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 It comes down to the interactive versus the fiction, right? Yeah. Like, like mm -hmm. how do you, how can you maintain both? And, uh, and uh, when really uh, it's sometimes it's one and sometimes it's the other, but you have to keep that, keep that balance, right? Mm -hmm. Or the illusion uh, sort of floating. I mean, um, I think there's definitely space for a game that is primarily just like systems narratives, like component-based narratives, like 100%. Mm -hmm. I just was not sure how to make that game, which is interesting in itself. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's where the whole, can you put a roguelike and a VN together in the same, uh, what would that game look like? Yeah. yeah. That's where it's coming from. Right. Yeah. Excited to see what that looks like from you. <laughs> if I ever get to it, yeah. <laughs> is that what you're? Uh, is that what you're hammering on now, or is that the what you're just always thinking about? What you're working on? What you're working on now? Um, that's just in the back of my head, and sure, I have sure. uh, some notes tied to it. But if you have like parts of the story that unlock based on some kind of procedural um, element, so like mm -hmm. number of rooms. Um, certain drops, certain characters that you would interact with, how could you randomize that so that each playthrough is a complete story, yeah. but it's like a nugget of a story, and then encourage people to play through again through some kind of meta-narrative or something something like that. Mm -hmm. So like the the seed of the idea was like, okay, you... It's a, again, it's, I was reading a lot of Isekai manga at the time, um, but if you are a character who gets sucked into a dungeon, but you know it's a dungeon, and what are the chances that everybody that you interact with in the all the monsters, although everybody is another quote unquote player, mm -hmm. the actual person, like how would that work? Like you could build that out into some kind of interesting story. Like okay, you come in, you're a knight, and then you fighting you're fighting a warlock. But if you you know found that book in the other room you can show it to the warlock and then rather than fighting you he'll talk to you and he might join your party so now you have a nice and a warlock in the party and you're progressing through the dungeon just kind of building that out uh, it, it was an uh, interesting pr design problem right yeah right right and yeah encouraging that replayability to find those different um approaches it's it's not just a design problem it's a ux problem right like how do you get the player to play it a second time with that i mean one solution exactly would be to make the full experience very short right leave them wanting more yeah and, and teasing that meta narrative but then it, do you really want to tell a lot of really really short stories like is that because then it, it constrains you so uh i mean maybe yes right um but uh yeah it's it's tough to it it's uh, an innovation waiting to be ha waiting to happen Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm, I know mm -hmm. that that that's the time cave narrative where like you keep playing the same loop, but the like the squares in the loop slightly change depending on what you did in a previous loop. But overall, it's the same kind of story arc. Mm -hmm. It's really trying to just see if you could take um, a very simple story and probably break it up into components by itself, mm -hmm. and then start differing those components a lot. So if its main character meets. Um, their their quote unquote Lancelot, their sec their second character, right? Mm -hmm. How do we make multiple second char secondary characters that are interesting and distinct from each other? And then what are the trade offs between you know getting secondary character A versus second character B? Mm -hmm. um, 
versus second character so you can so you don't end up with that you know a thousand bowls of oatmeal <laughs> yeah yeah um, uh, yeah Mark? i was gonna say these are the these are the challenges that and the discussions that like you need to be able to bounce off other people with right so like yeah. that's one of the things we do here on the show and one of the things we do here in our community and and it's why you are the mm-hmm. loudest member of yours right to <laughs> to foster that and so in in these mm-hmm. crazy times like how do you keep that conversation going have you taken uh, have you have you in the past have you done monthly like meetups that you've taken online you have a more active slack or discord server now like how do you how do you prevent that community from kind of drifting away into their own little bunkers now that we're all trapped in our own little bunkers um well i try to keep my own little bunker um like friendly mm-hmm. so one of the things that I encourage from uh, from the beginning with um, the Jamaica Game Developer Society is just like kind of free reign to bounce ideas off of each other. Um, I personally post ideas in there often, and then you know sometimes I'll throw in uh, a game design doc as a link and say, "Hey, if you want to look at it, look at it." Um, I have other friends within my own circle that if they're they're not necessarily game developers, but they definitely have an interest in games, so I can bounce ideas off them to get that different like a gamer only perspective mm-hmm. and yeah, just kind of keep that going and then keep the doc there. And it, it just grows over a period of time. And sometimes I end up chewing on the idea in the back of my head during a car ride. Yeah. Um, and then I call somebody and say, Hey, what about this idea? And I sit down and talk to him for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really, I'm not sure how to say, you know, how do we stop people from, you know, staying in their bunkers <laughs> rather than just, you know, maintaining your own bunkers and your own friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that's the answer there. Right. You have to give people, um, I mean, the world is different now and it's, we're all trying to re- recreate the world in a new way, but people are different mm-hmm. now too. And we have to allow for that. Right. So have you, have you, so is it, is it become, is it just harder or is it just different? I know it's just different. I mean, for mm-hmm. us, we didn't remember in Jamaica, we didn't fully lock down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are still walking about. We are strongly encouraged to wear masks. I think it's mandatory now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're having a, a spike in the past couple of days, but it's not horrible. Yeah, it's still manageable. Mm-hmm. People are still interacting. People are still talking. Spaces are still pretty much the same, at least locally, mm-hmm. for the most part. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's more or less the same, but you're just washing your hands a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So going forward, like, you know, uh, you know, there's unpredictability, right? Um, but mm-hmm. what, what, uh, what's the takeaway? What's the, what's the big lesson you've learned in terms of organizing these communities going forward? I mean, because that lesson could be like, you know, um, that, you know, that we're flexible and, and, and maybe things, maybe we're, we can survive any change in the world. But like, uh, how, what do you think things will look like a year from now, two years from now? Like in the game industry specifically or just in general? Well, I mean, in, in terms of the uh, community organizing, right? Like, like the, this this uh, tumultuous year has changed things. And will next year go back to the way it was? Will it be like this now forever? If thing, or will it be a, a synthesis? Like, this is a terrible question. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> like, I think we're all wondering. No, like, not, it, we're all coming up with new ideas on how to communicate with each other and how to interact with our communities. And uh, a lot of us don't know. Are these things we're thinking of going to be new ideas we keep? Or things we're doing to cope, and as as a community leader, is that that has to be something you thought about? The way I look at this is that, um, well, digital digital spaces are more important now, right? Uh, I think that we're going to see a more more a greater influx of people who, you know, in lieu of 
real life link ups have to adapt and adjust to the d- digital spaces. Yeah. And I think that's probably just going to be the new normal for a while. Right, right, honestly. right. Um, the more extroverted people are probably going to go back out, uh, um, outside as soon as possible. <laughs> However, when they're gonna when they want to interact with the friends the friends that they've made online, they're gonna come back to the same digital spaces. So it it really is a new normal. Yeah, yeah. what I'm imagining. Um, I don't think Discord is gonna be shutting down anytime soon. Right, uh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they've probably made money hand over fist. Right, right, now. right. Well, it goes back to what, it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the show, which is that. Mm-hmm. There are these silver linings, or that there's these these benefits that have come from being forced to innovate in these ways we communicate. That that it sounds like we'll we'll have learned something, and it will make us better going forward. That's what I'm hearing, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely it. Definitely saying that. I mean, it, it feels. It, it, I still feel like I haven't fully answered the question. But well, that's okay because I think it's one of those kinds of questions that like. And that's why we, we spent a lot of the episode on uh, on it, because it's like people are thinking about it and there isn't an answer, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not cutting you slack. I think that's true. I think there isn't really an answer. And you, it's just a, just a matter of talking about it. I did really like your answer, though, that, like, I've made a lot of connections as well online during this time. Uh, mm-hmm. I attended the Naroscope conference that um, went online for the first time this year where I wanted to go previous years, but location and costs meant that I couldn't go. So this is the first time I attended and I met a lot of cool people and other people that I've connected with. And now I feel like I have two communities, the people who I knew in real life before COVID and now my mm-hmm. online communities are people who I've never seen or interacted um, on a physical basis, mm-hmm. but now have become a part of my wheelhouse. And it's a lot more international because with an online, mm-hmm. as long as you want to be awake, depending on your time zone, you could attend all these events exactly that uh, i think that there's probably just append on to that i think probably one of the reasons why it feels weird to me is because this shift would have happened during like my years of playing mmos mm. like all those friends that you made online then like that shift already happened for a lot of people uh, some of their best friends they've met through mmos and have continued you know to play with them for years so COVID just came in and then all of a sudden it's like, I'm not really going outside anyway. So uh, I think that's mostly because I'm, I'm more of an introvert personally. Mm-hmm. So that's why the question feels a little bit shaky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, these, this, these spaces and this language existed. It's just now become mm-hmm. mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for listeners who don't know um, what you're working on now, can you give like a real quick pitch on the, your your current project and give us those links so we can get people uh, on get you on their radar? Okay, so yes, we just spoke about COVID, but my current project is called Questlight Pocket. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a location based RPG that sees players take on the role of a hunter, tracking beasts hiding in real world locations. And right? it's supposed to be coming soon to Android primarily, supposed first, to, and then porting. <laughs> yeah, aiming to. Yeah, I say supposed to because you know things oh, change. Yeah. But the target target platform is Android, and then later iOS. If you want to follow my creature designs and find out more about the development of the project, you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at SpriteWrench. Cool. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes if you, if listeners uh, missed it, or you can go back and listen to, and hear it again if you really can't wait because it sounds like 
people probably will want to get right on that right away. <laughs> That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. If you liked this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. And tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. For a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club slash feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and International Cat Day. <laughs> or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Is, is there anything we missed, Glenn, that you wanted to talk about? No, I think you guys are pretty thorough. Like, I actually wasn't expecting people to go in and play mage. For all, things. <laughs> <laughs> all things considered. Adia did her research. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.